every night before he went to bed, Jimmy prayed, God, let me walk on the moon. And it might not seem like that weird of a prayer to us, but his parents didn't quite know what to do with that prayer because when you put that kind of hope in a child, that kind of dream in a child, it, it, it's really, really kind of out there. But every night, for as long as they could remember, Jimmy's parents would hear him say, God, I want to go to the moon. I want to walk on the moon. God, put me on the moon. And his parents were worried. I mean, I can imagine the conversations that they were having. Maybe, maybe they were like, you know, maybe we should give him, get him something pointed towards a little more realistic, like hopefully he'll major in philosophy in college or something, you know, like, like because what you don't know, that was a joke, sorry if there's any philosophy majors here, um, what you don't know is that Jimmy was a boy in the 40s and 50s. And so when Jimmy's praying, Lord, I want to go to the moon, he's praying, Lord, I want to go to the moon before the United States had sent a man into space. And when Jimmy's praying, Lord, I want to go to the moon, he's praying, Lord, put me somewhere no one's ever been. And this isn't something that he's praying by accident. And Jimmy had a dream. He had a hope. He had a goal. He had a desire. And he had this hope, this infectious kind of hope that his parents honestly didn't know what to do with. And so they just kind of let it go. And Jimmy said it was fueled the, the day he heard Kennedy say, we're going to the moon. He said the fire blew up the day he saw Lance Armstrong walk on the moon. My favorite part of the story, as James Irwin tells it, is that he got to realize that hope as one of the 12 men who ever set foot on the moon. And he remembered those days as a boy praying, God, let me go to the moon. Because there's something about hope, isn't there? There's something about that irrational, unexplainable, unimaginable kind of hope that, that some people seem to hold on to in the midst of the most unlikely circumstance, right? I mean, Jimmy, James Irwin had a hope that no one even thought was a thing, but he still had hope. And you maybe know a little bit about it because you have hope. You have a, a hope, you have a dream, you have an idea, you have something going on in your head and you've thought it through and you've thought about it and it's this optimism that rages inside of you that everyone else, when they hear it, when they think it, when, when, when you say it out loud, their first question that they ask to you is always, why? Why? I've noticed, um, and maybe it's just because I'm old now, I'm 30, it's old, it's terribly old, but... In 2017 especially, it seems like negativity and pessimism are running rampant, and I don't know if it has to do with, with politics or media or internet or whatever it is, but it seems like everybody just wants to dash anybody else's hopes, right? And it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing or what you're hoping for, someone's ready to say, well, why? Why? And maybe personally, you know a little bit about that. Maybe personally you heard the diagnosis. You heard the word terminated. You saw the car accident happen. They said their last words to you. Whatever it is, you know that feeling 
of not having any kind of hope. You know the darkness. I mean, if we're honest, like every one of us in this room have lived enough life to know a moment when we thought a situation was beyond hope. To know a moment, maybe even an entire life, that we thought there was nothing left for any of us. And people have asked us, why hope? I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton, a famous old preacher, who said that hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. See, Chesterton's saying that it's not about those moments when you're thinking, well, I've got a B minus, I hope I can turn it into an A plus. I, I don't know anything about that personally, but I heard other people who think those things. Um, I just always had the A+. Plus. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. Um, but you know the feeling, right? You know that there are some people who have this minuscule amount of hope who are just hoping for something little. That's, that's not a strength. The strength and hope comes from the moment that's pitch black. The strength and hope comes from the moment when everyone else has given up and walked away, but the one person refuses to give up. When everyone else has left, the person who's left, the person who remains, is the one who says, I will not stop. You see, that's the kind of hope that we're talking about. There's a story of a teenage boy whose family was in a fire, and he was the only one who survived, but he was badly burned. And the nurses weren't sure what to do with him because, because his family was gone, so he knew almost no one to respond to the treatment. He, and the nurses tried, and he was, he was irresponsive. He wasn't interested. He didn't talk. He didn't look. He didn't want to do anything. Well, finally, the school decided they needed to do something, so they sent a homebound teacher. And so a few days after he'd been in the hospital, a teacher came, and she had gone around to all of his classes and gotten all of his homework and she brought his homework in, and she knew that one of the things that he needed to do was his algebra. And so she sat there in the hospital room with him that day, and the nurses came by, and they said, I don't, I don't know why you're here. The nurses said, he won't respond to anything we say. He won't answer any questions we have. He won't do anything we ask. I, I don't know why you're here. But the teacher, doing her job, patiently sat through, the boy, sat through with the boy, and she explained the homework, and she went over the problems, and she did everything she could and she finally got to what we all know is the worst subject on earth, algebra. It's okay, you can laugh, it's true, it's fine. And she patiently went through the problems with the boy and explained what he had missed in class. And as she left, she had a little bit of hope. But a few days later, when she returned, the nurses stopped her out in the hall and they said, what, what did you do? what did you do? And the teacher said, I, I don't know what you mean. And the nurses said, all of a sudden, he's responding to treatment. He's happy. He's positive. We think he's going to make it through. What did you do? And she said, all I did was go over his homework with him. And so they went in together and they talked to the boy and the boy said they wouldn't send a teacher to work on algebra with a dying boy, would they? And this one moment gave him hope. That one teacher gave him hope. 
and it's the only recorded incident in the entire history of humanity when algebra did something positive in someone's life. <laughs> but there's something about hope. You can tell who all the teachers are in the room, by the way. There's something about hope. You know this because you know a hopeless person, right? You know somebody who, maybe not even on a large scale, just on like a moderate to medium scale, is kind of a hopeless person. They're the kind of person who like you make lunch plans with because you, you feel obligated to, and you say, all right, where do you want to go eat? And they say, I don't know. I feel like everywhere is going to be pretty crowded. And it's always too expensive when we go out to eat. Um, plus, like, the kids will be bad. And I just ate everywhere yesterday. Oh, I don't know. And you say, okay, so let's eat at home then. And you say, well, I don't want to eat at home because there's no groceries. And I don't really feel like cooking or cleaning or they're the kind of person who's like, well, I don't want to do that because, like, there's a football game on or, you know, i got to mow the grass. Like, you know those kind of people, right? Like, don't elbow anybody right now. This is not the time, okay? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about a hopeless person. When, he comes to the, when it comes to a hopeless person in your life, they're, they're, they're not the kind of person that anyone wants to be around or be near, because what is, what is it that keeps us together? What is it that gives us the reason to go on? It, it's that hope. Every single one of us needs hope. And so when it comes to us, what happens is so many times people ask us, why do you have that hope? Why do you have that optimism? And the answer to the question is Jesus. Why do you feel the way you feel? Why are you the way you are? The answer is Jesus is why. Jesus is why we have this hope. Jesus is why we believe in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the darkness, in spite of, the, in spite of everything else that's holding on to us. Jesus is why we believe. In the book of Luke, chapter 14, Jesus talks to us about this hope, and he tells us a story that gives us this reason for optimism. If you want to turn in your Bible there, you're going to see this story, and it's a really interesting story because Jesus tells, tells stories all the time. We talk about the, the parables that he tells, and the reason that he tells parables is because, not because he wants to wrap everything up with a bow, but because he wants to take everything, he wants the people who are listening to take them away and have something to chew on and think through and so he's at, a, he's at a religious leader's house, and he's having dinner with this religious leader, and it's in this moment that he wants this religious leader to start thinking about something, because they're having this big fancy party, and Jesus says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, or your relatives. If you do, they'll invite you back, and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at a feast in the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus says to, to them in this moment is he says, Listen, every single one of you, when you have a dinner party, who are you going to invite to the party? You're going to invite the person who has you over for a party. You're going to invite the person who has you over for another meal. It happens all the time on social media. I don't know if you all have ever seen this. I notice it, and I'm on to the game. 
Okay, here's what happens, and if you're not in social media, just follow along with me for a second. What happens is a lady will post a picture of herself, okay? And then every lady who is friends with this lady will post, girl, you are so gorgeous, I don't know how you do it. And then another lady will post, beautiful, kissy face, like all, it happens, right? I'm, don't, don't act like it's not true. Here's the reason I know you guys do this, okay? And y'all making this face like it's alive, it's true. Here's the reason you do this, because the next time you post a picture, what's going to happen? That girl's going to go to each one of your pictures and be like, oh girl, you are so much prettier than me. I don't know why you said that. And it's the way it goes, right? Don't lie. Don't, you're in church. You, you have to admit it's true. That's why every, every picture has 40 comments of ladies going, you are so pretty. I don't know how you do it. You're the best mom. You're the best wife. Like, guys, don't do that because they're like, we don't care. But girls are always doing that to each other, and it's because they want you to do it back to them. Weirdos, stop it, okay? But this is what Jesus is saying in this moment. Is he's saying... Don't invite the people who can just invite you back. Invite the people to your party who can't ever pay you back. Give to the people who can't ever reward you for your generosity. Now here's what happens, and I've been been talking to you about this for a long time. Oftentimes when Jesus tells a story in Scripture, we want to be the hero of the story. So when Jesus tells this story that he's about to tell, we tell ourselves that we're the host of the party. But I want to tell you something, and I I don't want this to hurt your feelings. I don't want this to mean that I think less of us. We're not the host of the party. You see, when Jesus tells the host to invite the lame, the crippled, the beggar, the blind, that's us. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on that right up front. Because when Jesus tells these people to invite, when Jesus tells the host to invite these people, the host of the party, not us. We're the ones who can't repay the host. Listen to the story, and I'll show you what I mean. Okay, it starts in verse 16. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready, but they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, and I can't come. And so what happens is, when you hear this story, you think, all right, so I'm the guy throwing the party, so you don't invite the busy guy, you don't invite the investor guy, you don't invite the married guy. Okay, I got this. But here's the reality. This story is about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's throwing the party. And what he's trying to tell us is that he is inviting all of us to the party, but so often, we're missing out. Did you hear their excuses? The first guy said, I've, I've got some land. I've got to go work. Right? I mean, he's, he's got a noble excuse. He didn't say there's a football game on. He didn't say I don't feel like it. He said, I've got to go do some work. 
Because he, the second guy is the same one. He said, I bought five oxen, right? I mean, to buy five oxen would have been a huge investment. It could have been something that really would have set his family up for a long time. This is something that would have really, you know, maybe set his kids up, maybe set up, maybe put up a, a new fortune for his family. This is what it could have, could have turned into a big deal. This is a major investment for this man. And the third guy, I mean, he, makes, he makes an important point. He just got married. His wife would not be happy with him going to a party without her because he just got married, and they're newlyweds, and newlyweds do everything together. It takes about two to three years before you get to the point when they're like, are you going anywhere soon? Because I really could use a break, right? Like, that happens at your house, too. Okay, cool. And um, no, it doesn't, sweetheart. Not at our house. Okay, it's cool. And so that's, what, that's the way it goes. Everyone has these legitimate excuses that they give. But the problem is, is that they're missing out on what's most important. And I want you to catch this. Because yes, working, supporting your family, is important. Investing in the future is important. Caring for your family and your marriage is important. But don't pass up the opportunity for one you think is going to be better because it will let you down. Don't pass up the opportunity for one you think is going to be better because it will let you down. The land that you can work so hard, the job that you can work at forever, the, the career you can build will eventually fold and crumble because the work that you do makes a fine living, but it makes a terrible God. The corporate ladder you climb gives you a fine sense of accomplishment, but in the end it will give you zero hope because it will eventually go away. The investments in the future and the hope that you have in, in, in what retirement you might have, it might make you feel well and good, but in the end it will all crumble and go away. You'll have no hope at some point. The marriage that you have, and I, this is an important part for you to keep your eyes on me and your hands to yourself, okay? The marriage that you have to your spouse might be great. And your spouse might be the best, most fantastic, awesome husband or wife you've ever imagined, and they do everything perfect and everything right all of the time, and you've never fought and you've never quarreled and you've never been mad at them, but they're still not a very good God. In the end, your marriage will let you down. In the end, your spouse will let you down. Maybe by the end of the day, your spouse will let you down. Ladies, keep your hands to yourself, okay? It's just the reality of it. That all of those things are good, but none of those are a reason for hope. You see, the feast that Jesus is offering... The party that Jesus is throwing is not a party that's like a one-time, just happen and, and here it goes kind of thing. The party that Jesus is throwing is a party for all eternity. Because in this story, Jesus is the host, and he's offering each of us a chance at heaven. Check this out. Read, read further along. You ready? Here, here it goes in verse, in verse seven, uh, 21. The servant came back and said and reported to the master, 
Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. Then there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You see this, this eternal reward that Jesus is hosting? It's available to anyone who says yes. It's not a requirement that you have to host him back. It's not a requirement that you have to meet a certain criteria. It's not this moment where you have to be able to do X, Y, Z. The only thing you have to do is you have to be willing to respond to the invitation of the host of the party who's saying, I invite you to this place. Are you coming? Yes or no? And so when people ask us, how can you have hope? Haven't you seen the weather? How can you have hope? Haven't you seen there's been two bad hurricanes in two weeks? How can you hope for anything beyond this? How can you have hope? Haven't you seen the political situation and nuclear weapons? How can you have hope? Don't you watch the news? Well, hey, no, I don't. But B, how can you have hope? Haven't you seen what's going on, the the pension crisis and the state and and this and that? How can you have hope beyond anything that, you know, everybody's getting sick and everybody's dying and people are sicker than they've ever been and, and people are crazier and terrorism and all this? How can you have hope? And I just have one answer and it sounds trite, it sounds pat, it sounds like I'm a five-year-old in Sunday school and I don't care because the answer to why I have hope is Jesus is why. Now here's the secret. A long time ago, I figured out that in this story, I'm the crippled, the lame, the beggar, the blind. Because I don't want to admit that. I want to think, like, I'm, I'm, I'm tall, I'm relatively smart, I go to, went to college, you know, I'm accomplished, I own a home. But the reality is, is that in comparison to the creator of the universe, is that in comparison to, to the God, the Father, I, I'm nothing. Nothing. And the reason that he invites the crippled and the lame and the beggar is because he invites the ones who are willing to say, I bring nothing. I come with nothing. I can repay nothing. All that I have is what you give me. Why do we have hope? Jesus is why. I don't want to admit it. Because if I have to admit it, then I have to admit that I don't have hope because I'm a hard worker. I don't have hope because I'm strong, because I'm smart, because I'm funny. I don't have hope because I, 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 I am accomplished. I don't have hope because I have a lot of money. Whatever it is for you that makes you accomplished, whatever it is for me that makes me great, I don't have hope in any of those things. Because the reality is, 
is the only reason we have hope is Jesus. Whenever I think of, of this story in particular, I think of my friend Kyle. My friend Kyle um, went to the church that I used to serve in Bracken County, and Kyle was, uh, was paralyzed and spent his entire life in a wheelchair. And he started coming to church, and, and we started talking about Jesus, and we, we told this story, and he heard about it, and, and it, really, it really lit him up, and he knew and he understood, and he wanted to give his life to Jesus, but there was a problem. And the problem was how we were going to get Kyle into the baptistry, because Kyle was a big kid, and he had to go up the stairs to get in the baptistry. And so it took four of us carrying him up into the, into this, into the stage, and it was on a Sunday morning, and I'll never forget, because you can see in the pictures, you can see how red our faces are just from the strain of carrying him up the stairs. And, and the whole time he's going, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. And he's, he's never been one to keep it too quiet, so he's, he's telling you, I'm sorry, and we're like, it's okay, buddy, it's okay. And so as, as we're carrying him into the water, and it's this incredibly humbling moment when I'm living this story out, and I'm seeing that, that Kyle has not that much to bring, but Jesus is still inviting him in, and we get into the water, and I'll never forget, because we get in the water, and as we get in the water, Kyle says loud enough for the entire audience to hear, it should be easier now, I float well in the water. But we come to this moment, and we baptize Kyle, and Kyle comes back up out of the water, And we know that he has hope for eternity. Because I don't want to tell you this next part. I'll be very honest with you. You heard the last verse, right? The last verse says, those who refuse the invitation will not come to the banquet. Because I've read every book that I can get my hands on to try and convince myself that there's a way that everybody just gets to go to heaven. And I've had multiple conversations with multiple people to try and convince myself to be a part of the camp that says, you know what, a just and loving God wouldn't send everybody to hell. It's just not, a th or wouldn't send anybody to hell. It's just not a thing. Everybody gets to go to heaven. It's all cool. But then I read this story. And I'm unable to convince myself that God would be okay with people who hear and have a chance to respond to Jesus telling him no. And so I believe as much as it hurts, as much pain as it brings me, that there are people who I knew and people who I loved and people who have lived for a long time who are destined for a life of eternity and who are destined for an eternity of torment because they had a chance to respond to who Jesus was, to respond to the invitation of Jesus having the hope of a party for eternity in heaven. And they said, you know what, that sounds great, but I've got, I've got some land over here. It's really going to turn out well for me. And I said, you know what, I, I hear what Jesus is saying, but can I tell you about these this investment opportunity that I've got. You know, I just got married, maybe, maybe in a little while after things settle down. And all I know is that the reason that I believe that, that there are people who aren't there 
Jesus is wise. Jesus is wise. And so here's what I want to tell you, if you don't know this already. We believe that Jesus came to this earth after being with God the Father who created the universe, overseeing all of creation, Jesus decided that he wanted to help save the very creation that he helped create because evil was here and ruined part of ruined creation. And so Jesus came to earth to invite us to the party. To invite us, the crippled, the lame, the beggar, the blind. To invite us, the people who are incapable of being good enough, of being smart enough, of being fast enough to save ourselves. Because he saw who we were and he saw how we were wired and they realized that, that there's nothing we can do, that evil has too strong of a grip on us here on earth, that we can't save ourselves, that Jesus has to do something to save us. And so Jesus... Jesus came to earth. And he came to invite us to a party. And the invitation looked a little different than what you would expect. But the invitation was him putting skin on and becoming fully God and fully man. And it's while he was fully God and fully man that he showed us how to live. He was the first one to be completely perfect. He never let evil have a hold on his life. He never let evil hold on to him. He never sinned one time. He never lied, never cheated, never stole. He was the first one to have hope in his own ability. But rather than take the credit for himself, rather than just kind of go with it, he decided to do something different. And he wanted to instill in all of humanity for all of time hope. And so he went to the cross. And it's there while he was on the cross that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for you and for me. So that you and I could know that in spite of our darkness, in spite of our pain, so that you and I could know that because of Jesus, we have hope. So when someone asks us, why do we have hope? We could say, Jesus is So here in just a moment, we're going to remember the, the body broken and the blood poured out. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you because Casey, Stacy, and Jeff made the commitment this week to Jesus. And I want to challenge you to think through if that's a commitment that you've made yourself. If you've made the commitment to say, you know what, I want everyone in my life to know that Jesus is why I have this hope, that Jesus is why I am the way I am, that Jesus is why, that it's not because of who I am, it's not because of things I've done, it's not because of how capable I am, but it's because of Jesus that I have any reason to think anything other than that I'm a crippled, lame, lame blind beggar, that Jesus is why. And after we're done here today, if you want to talk to me about making that commitment, I want to talk to you. Because I have this hope that you can share. Because there's an invitation to a party for all of eternity. Forever. And I want you to be there.